0: Coming up on Tech Nation, it's all about working better or maybe actually from home. That sound familiar? Whether you're sheltering in place, a longtime home office worker, or you have a personal project, what you expect from yourself at home is quite different than what might be expected of you in the workplace on the same job. There are some tricks to successfully work from home, and there's actually science behind it. Alex Pang, joins us to talk about shorter, work better, smarter, and less. And here's how. All this and more coming up on this week's Tech Nation.
1: Let's take five with Moira Gunn. This is 5 Minutes.
0: At the time of this 2013 Tech Nation interview, Gavin Newsom was running for Lieutenant Governor of California after serving two terms as Mayor of San Francisco and before that, a County Supervisor. It was during his tenure as Mayor that social media exploded, Right here in San Francisco, Twitter, Facebook, texting, Google, you name it. He says it made him wonder, why are we more engaged with each other on social media and less engaged with government?
2: You brought me back when I was a county supervisor. I remember there was a big debate about whether or not we should charge people a premium for paying their parking tickets online, as if we were offering some extraordinary service uh, and there would be a penalty associated with it. And of course, when I was mayor early on, Biz Stone and Evan Williams, the co-founders of Twitter, no one knew what that was. I remember they tried to get a meeting with me and uh, we had a staff that said, well, you know, <laughs> he's really busy. And I said, boy, I'm just intrigued. What's, what, what's this Twitter thing? Is that a sound? What, what is it? And of course, here we are uh, a few years later. It's remarkable how ubiquitous these smartphones are on as we move mobile local, social now uh, to the cloud and how far we've come in such a short period of time. And you're right. That disconnect is, from my perspective, this new digital divide that's taking shape. You know, we talk so much about socioeconomics. Five years ago, I was trying to Wi-Fi public housing in San Francisco as a big call to arms. And now I uh, look around and I was brought by my former homeless czar in San Francisco to a homeless shelter the other day. And the big concern they have is access to walls to get their cell phones into charged. Their smartphones charged. <laughs> And I thought, this world has changed, and I'm not you know, not that long ago. So we've got to reconcile that, and we've got to close that gap. And, and I think it's serious, because you have a whole generation of folks that have grown up digital, uh, or as digital natives, and uh, they're just not going to be educated, they're not going to be engaged, they're not going to be as interested uh, in this analog model, this hierarchical, top-down governmental model, in terms of their engagement in the future. And you're seeing the contours of that already. We're so good at amplifying voices, I mean, relatively speaking. And certainly President Obama sort of picking up on that. Howard Dean model and the great work Joe Trippi did with the My Barack Obama campaign. 35,000 self organized communities came together really in a sort of 21st century email campaign. It really wasn't that much more than that, but at the time, truly cutting edge. And folks were very enthusiastic and excited. Their voices were amplified, not just uh, to self organize and volunteer, but also to donate and, of course, uh, to vote. And they did in historic ways. That said, once the election was over, Everyone started feeling left out. They started feeling like their voices didn't matter. And in response to that, uh, President Obama said, oh, no, no, we're going to keep this going and did something called change.gov uh, or change.org and asked everyone, what's their priority? 2008, you know, war in Iraq, war on, uh, in Afghanistan, war on terror and climate change issues. And, of course, the financial meltdown are the backdrop. And what did people want? All these communities came together, dominantly said legalize marijuana. <laughs> And President Obama made a flippant, infamously flippant comment, and folks did not like the nature of that response uh, because they were serious. And immediately that site went down for reconstruction. Those voices were turned off, and we had a broadcast model. It's not an indictment of the president. He's done more on this than anyone else. But in essence, a broadcast model for the next four years until last year, all of a sudden, hey, Bob, how are you? It's President Obama again. Hey, Michelle has just called me. I got a call from President Clinton on behalf of President and Obama. uh, All of a sudden, we cared, or they cared, and we mattered. And so the question is, can we govern with these tools of technology and have a two-way, not a one-way conversation with this sort of broadcast professor, I say respectfully, student relationship, but a real Socratic iterative relationship where we're co-producers and co-creators as this whole millennial generation has become more and more accustomed to.
0: At the time of this interview in 2013, Gavin Newsom had just published his book, Citizenville, how to take the town square digital and reinvent government. He went on to win the lieutenant governorship in California twice, and on January 7, 2019, Gavin Newsom was sworn in as the governor of California. I'm Moira Gunn. This is 5 Minutes.
1: Five Minutes is produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. Five Minutes is a production of Tech Nation Media. I'm Paul Lancour.
0: From San Francisco, I'm Moira Gunn, and this is Tech Nation. Today on Tech Nation... Do you have no choice but to work from home, as in sheltering in place, or really committing yourself to that novel or your memoirs? Alex Pang has been studying people, their relation to technology, and what works and doesn't work for us humans. You may remember him from his earlier books, The Distraction Addiction and Rest. He's here today with Shorter. Work better, smarter, and less. Here's how. And now... Alex Pang. Well, Alex, welcome back to Tech Nation. Well, thanks. It's great to be back. I must say that before I even crack the cover, I love the title, Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's how. It's like, yeah, work better, work smarter, work less. So I'm going to ask you one question. That's my part of working less. And you're going to talk for 30 minutes. I'm going to ask you a question. You just talk. Okay. Is that work? That's great to me. But you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> how do you work less?
3: <laughs> so, you know, what I was looking at in this book are companies that have shortened their work weeks, right? They've gone to four-day weeks or, you know, six-hour days without cutting salaries or without reducing productivity or, product or you know, profitability or alienating their customers. And so the big story that I'm telling is how across – a whole bunch of industries in companies ranging from you know, two people to two thousand. These experiments are taking hold. And they're demonstrating that it's possible without a huge amount of you know investment in technology or you know big spending or huge disruptions to kind of redesign the workday so that people are able to use technology better, to collaborate better, to be more thoughtful, and therefore do five days worth of work in four days.
0: I remember taking one of my sons to college, and they had all the majors for a particular school in one auditorium with the students' parents, and it was all everyone was listening, everybody was all very exciting. First day of school, and the dean stood up and said a number of really interesting things. But what stuck with me is he was talking to the students, and he said, You have to understand you have two and a half to three hours each day, and you've got to find that time. That's the time that you really do well. You're operating on all cylinders. It doesn't last longer than this. Some of you, it's going to be the morning, some noon, some night. You can't be hanging out with your friends. You know, you've got to find out where your three hours is. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think my son has three hours yet, <laughs> but when he does, <laughs> where's mine? Where's yours? Uh, it sort of fits in with, with what you're saying. You're supposed to be at work for eight hours. You got three good ones. Mm-hmm. Now,
3: you know, that's a, a, a that's a shockingly wise dean or your your son had. But, you know, I think that it, it really is the case, first of all, that um, most of us have a period of maybe four or five hours tops per day when we are at our creative or cognitive peak, when we're able to focus most on our most important problems. And one of the things that, you know, uh, and people, people who are incredibly creative and prolific, and yet work far fewer hours than, you know, than, than most of us think are necessary to do, to do good work, figure out what those hours are, and they organize pretty much their whole lives around getting the most out of them. And what companies do is something similar, right? I mean, Many of them um, set aside periods of the day where you don't have to answer email or talk to people or you know, get onto Slack. It's perfectly okay to be a little bit antisocial and to focus on the stuff that really matters in that day. And it's incredible when you all do that, how much more you're able to get done, both individually and collectively.
0: Does that hour or those hours have to all line up for everybody? You know, preferably.
3: um, And I think that it is the case that sleep researchers will tell us that most people have a set, you know, sort of a set period in the day, and when they're at their best. And there's there's not gigantic, gigantic variation in most of the population. There are a few people who are genuinely night owls, and a few people who really are total early birds. But for most of us, if you set aside those, peri- you know, a period between, let's say, you know, nine a.m. and noon, most of us can get an an amazing amount done, and I think that we're at the point right now where most offices are like a carnival of distraction, and so it's almost as if if you set aside any three hour period and eliminated those those distractions, people could get an awful lot done. You know, nobody has yet tried to you know hire people with the same chronotype so that you know so that you can maximize this effect. But you know, maybe one day when companies start thinking about how to go to three day weeks or something, um, they might do that. Right now, though, I think that you know most of us most of us can follow common sense, and we turn out to have fairly common rhythms, and so um, and and we all therefore um, you know get the benefit from this relatively simple organization in the day.
0: What's in it for companies to reduce the number of hours that does that's sort of counterintuitive
3: mm-hmm. you know um the companies that have been doing this are mainly ones where there are there are big issues with recruitment and retention, so software industry design firms um advertising agencies, restaurants very interestingly, you know places where getting and keeping good people is a tremendous challenge It's also a challenge, especially for women workers, you know, particularly ones who have kids. Um, they see big drop-offs in the number of women who come back, you know, when they have little kids. And among those who do, their ability to continue climbing up, you know, or climbing up the ladder. Um, they also are interested in creating workplaces that are more sustainable and more creative, that are designed not to, you know, Get as much work out of people in a short period, burn them out and then replace them, but rather see themselves as places that can, you know, uh, that can invest in people's lives and in people's careers. And I think that many of them are smaller place, smaller companies that are competing for talent with very deep pocketed competitors. And so, you know, many of these startups cannot offer the same sorts of salaries that the big companies in Silicon Valley or, you know, in London can offer, but what they can provide is a 4-hour day. And for workers who are a little more experienced, who have, you know, maybe done a few years at a big consulting company or a software company, You know, they've slept under their desks for some projects and they can see that this isn't really sustainable for them. And maybe they also recognize that some of those late nights were not a result of, you know, incredible passion and inspiration, but the schedule crashed and someone mismanaged something. And so you got to make it up that, you know, the romance of those intense long hours is no longer quite as attractive as being able to better manage your time and spend more time with your kids and parents. So that's what companies get out of it. Um, You know, a better workforce, a more loyal workforce, and often a more experienced and more gender-balanced workforce.
0: Well, you said big consulting companies, boy, you get in there, you got to be billing those hours and uh uh as attorneys and accountants and government contractors and they're not just billing hours, of course, they actually bill by the 6 minutes, you know, a tenth of an hour. <laughs> right. You've been in any of those. I was like, what's this what would you do that 6 minutes? I want to know, you know. Um how, what do you do for them?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, those companies switch to from uh, hourly billing to project based billing. Very simply, you got to do that first. And there are, you know, a, a bunch of accounting firms that I've looked at, and one or two small law firms that have uh, that have made the move. But they all say that you know the first thing you've got to do is get away from time based billing. Because not, you know, I mean, not only does it focus you in terms of thinking about, you know, thinking about your work in six minute increments, but there's a whole culture that builds up around, you know, competing with people over or promoting people over how many hours they're able to bill, not how effective they are, not how productive they are, but rather, you know, how how much time they can they can put down on the sheet And that is, you know, and that is a model that generates behavior that makes it really difficult to move to a four-day week. Um, So, the simple answer is you got to get rid of it.
0: You got to convert the value to a monetary price to bill the client, and then get it done within that. Which, which is what happens anyway. It's like we're billing up your hourly rate, and then all of a sudden the project isn't done, and you got to work another 13 hours, another 32 hours that doesn't get billed, then you get trouble for that. I mean, right. it, it happens anyway. Yeah. The work and, has to get done at the at the rate that it can get done.
3: And, you know, this is a trend in um, law firms and accounting and other professional services, right? There has been a long, you know, long discussion for years about hourly versus project-based billing. And, you know, one of the and some people will move, you know, from big law firms to doing, you know, being in-house counsel um, at companies, partly because they're no longer having to think about their time in that way. And so, you know, this is it's not something that is just confined to companies that are shortening their work weeks. But certainly every company that shortens their work weeks goes through that step first.
0: You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm Moira Gunn, and my guest today is Alex Pang. Dr. Pang has been studying people, technology, and the worlds they make for some time. You might remember him from his earlier books, including The Distraction, Addiction, and Rest. He's here today with Shorter. Work better, smarter, and less. Here's how. Well, let's talk about here's how. You go to design thinking, frame, inspire, Ideate, prototype, test, share. This cycle has been around for decades.
3: Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, it's been around for decades. It's tried and true, and it's been used you know, to design everything from uh, the computer mouse that we all know and love to the Swiffer to um, you know the cruiser bike. And it's and you know I of course design thinking is something that you know is like part of uh part of the warp and woof of silicon valley but i realized that this was a way of organizing the story of shorter work weeks when i was listening to the people the people who've shortened their weeks talk about you know talk about doing kind of design exercises of prototyping different kinds of work weeks of constantly experimenting and iterating i mean in a sense i mean essentially they they themselves Sometimes very consciously, sometimes less so, took this design thinking approach to redesigning time at their offices, to redesigning the ways in which they use technology and the ways that people collaborate. So it felt like a very natural kind of framework to use to, or of, uh, to tell this story.
0: Well, here on Technation, you know, we say if God didn't make it, it's technology <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and design thinking. They teach it to you. You know, if you're going to build something here. Go through this. You know, keep keep you know, thinking of bigger ideas. Test this. Get more input. Well, I mean, all of these things are part of how you make a good product, and sometimes that is Process, right? You know, how do you improve process? One of the suggestions you have is shorten meetings. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that big round of applause out there? <laughs> you know, we're we're victims to how time has been parsed up for us. You know, mm-hmm. we're talking about the six minute billing. It's like you have a meeting at at at. 3 o'clock or Mm 3.30. You don't have a lot of meetings at 3.15. Right. (laughs) It's like, or 3.20 or 3.10, but you want to shorten meetings. That's more cultural than anything else.
3: It's partly cultural. There is a technology dimension to it in that um, there there are plenty of calendaring programs that default to 60 minutes for their meetings. And it's actually sometimes really difficult to change that and to get your calendar program to talk to your you know your room scheduling software and to get everybody synced up um but you know there are studies that show that we lose about 2 hours a day to overly long meetings to distractions to multitasking you know the time that we spend um, answering just that one quick question that turns into a 10-minute conversation that then requires another 10 minutes for us to kind of get settled back into the thing that we were working on before we were interrupted. And so just being able to eliminate those things brings us a lot closer to being able to you know, save two hours and give it back to workers and to work you know, a six-hour day rather than an eight-hour day. But what these companies are doing with meetings basically is – um, they're making them a lot shorter. They are you know, giving, they're requiring agendas, um, and limiting the number of people who, you know, who need to participate in them. Because when you add up, you know, the number of people hours that you can have in like an all, you know, an hour long all hands meeting, that's actually an awful lot of labor right there. That's a lot of, you know, a lot of company time and shortening these in, you know, I think that the other important thing about shortening meetings is not only does it create space in people's calendars, but everybody hates badly run meetings. And so, you know, it's an easy, you know, it's an easy early win. Um, And it shows that this thing that we have complained about all, you know, for our whole working lives turns out to be changeable. And if we can actually make these things shorter and make them better, and that open, that raises the question, what else in our days and what else in our workplaces can we change so that we can win back more time?
0: Ever since technology has showed up and said, hey, we can make you more productive, employees have said to me, yeah, it made us really more productive in the sense we could get so much more done. But then we they jammed a whole lot more in what I was supposed to do they didn't get the benefit mm-hmm. if anything they had to juggle a whole lot lot more things many more things which fills up your mind space your what you're thinking about many more things to schedule so where's the benefit to the individual
3: so all too often the benefits to the individual have been sort of have been scant or have been unequally, dist- unequally shared between individuals and companies. You know, one of the things that became very clear when I was researching this book is that, you know, technologies actually have enabled tremendous increases in productivity in the sense that they've made particular tasks that we do much faster. The problem is that those productivity gains have been I, have been, first of all, buried under a rubble of Bad management and overhead, and yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: and <laughs> you know, and strategies of cutting workforces so that you know you sent, you you know you load more work onto fewer people, and then taking the productivity gains in terms of you know uh, mainly in terms of money and tending to distribute those upwards to shareholders, to CEOs, and so on, and so want you know what these companies are doing is pretty explicitly moving against that model and saying okay we know that redesigning the workday is a challenge we know it requires an awful lot of you know an awful lot of effort you got to change your mindset you got to change a whole bunch of things but in exchange for doing all that stuff we will become a more productive place we'll become more resilient there'll be other benefits to the organization And in exchange for doing all that work, you get some of your time back. Um, You know, these these often aren't places that have an awful lot of money to throw around, right? You know, restaurants are working on razor-thin margins. And so, you know, for them, but for them, moving to four-day weeks is, you know, an incredibly valuable thing for a workforce that's accustomed to doing, you know, six- or seven-day, 12-hour days, you know, or sometimes working, you know, weeks at a stretch. So, you know,
0: But how does the budget balance? I mean, well, does that mean you have to hire a lot more people at higher salaries? Um,
3: generally, no. I mean, you, you keep salaries the same. I mean, in a place like a restaurant, for example, um, the ones that I have studied have, um, or have expanded a little bit. You know, had a few more covers, so that uh, so that you can serve as many people in four nights as you did previously in five or six, and then you do a few other things so that you can, um, uh, so that you can improve the productivity of the chefs. You get a bigger oven, you do a couple other things like that, um, and then you also it also works well in places like Edinburgh where you've got this thing called the edinburgh fringe which is a huge festival during the summer and literally you know, 10 times as many people are in the city during the fringe as as live in the city so you know if you've had a challenging quarter you can stay open longer when there are lots of people around but it turns out that you know even industries where you've got you know challenges all the time like restaurants are able to make this work. And then, you know, in, in creative industries, I think that um, there are you know, places where you have a lot more flexibility in terms of you know how people work and sort of and and you've got big delivery dates, but you don't generally have clients looking over your shoulder. You have a lot more flexibility in how you organize your time anyway. And then even in places like you know nursing homes. who have moved their nursing staffs to six hour days, what they found is, yeah, you actually do have to hire more people and you have to, you know, and your, you know, your total budget does go up because, you know, nurses are like on the front lines of these, of these institutions. You know, they're the people who help residents get dressed, you know, help them bathe, they spend their days with them. And it's incredibly valuable, especially if, you're someone who you know, has, who now has trouble remembering faces or has memory issues to have familiar faces around. And what these places find is that, you know, yeah, you do have to spend more money, but you have far fewer people quitting after, you know, a few months. So you've got lower fees to recruiting agencies. You've got less spent on you know, temporary workers. You also have far higher levels of satisfaction, and lower administration of drugs. And so it turns out that you actually are not spending much more money at all.
0: You've been listening to Alex Pang, the author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's how. We'll talk more after a break. Podcasts of Tech Nation are available on NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher, and in other podcast syndication outlets. Direct links are available at technation.com. In the second half of our show, Alex Pang will take on working from home now that we're sheltering in place. It takes a little organization. Stay with us. You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm speaking with Alex Pang about shorter, work better, smarter, and less. Here's how. We've just been talking about employers moving to six-hour shifts in the workplace instead of eight-hour, and that included nursing homes.
3: What these places find is that, you know, yeah, you do have to spend more money, but it turns out that you actually are not spending much more money at all. Um, there's you know, one nursing home in Virginia that did this. Calculated that it cost about ten cents per resident per day, about twenty thousand dollars total per year. Once you you know once you fig once you factored in all of the savings, so even in places like that where you really do have to have people on call all the time, the economics turn out to be much more favorable than we expect.
0: The cost of change. Yeah. Really big. Really big. <coughs> Sorry. That's okay. <coughs> ah. right. I was shocked at some of the numbers uh, where overwork is serious. And no, Japan isn't number one on this.
3: Mm-hmm. No, it turns out that, you know, Mexico works the longest hours of, you know, any, any country in the world. Um, and Japan is still up there, though Korea, I believe, has pulled ahead. Um, you know, this is one of one of many ways in which Korea has been trying to surpass Japan. Japan, and it finally has. But you know, Japan and Korea, interestingly, are two of the countries where you see the largest number of companies experimenting with four day weeks. Um, there are a whole bunch of you know, software companies, not surprisingly, but also in the health and beauty space in Korea. Which is you know a significant a significant source of innovation in, or in Korean business, um, but you know even in countries that have invented their own words for working yourself to death, you have leaders who are saying, "You know what? this is crazy, and we can figure out how to do it better, and they are.
0: All jobs aren't equal in, in terms of what they take out of you. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out how much work is too much, how much work is is not enough? I mean, how do we figure that out? Hmm.
3: You know, I think that the actually there is a researcher at Cambridge University in England who's been asking, what's the minimum amount of work we need in order to be happy, right? One of the things it's not zero. It's not zero. No. You know, most of us have friends at the office. It's a source of social interaction. We get in good jobs. We get satisfaction from helping other people, from being team members. And what he finds is that when you measure the happiness levels of people working various numbers of hours, happiness peaks at about eight hours a week. It doesn't go up after that. So if you work eighty hours a week, you're not ten times happier than if you work eight. So we know what
0: eight the, for the week, Eight not, for the week, not the day. Eight no. for the week. Eight
3: okay. hours. Eight hours for the week is what you should work in order to, or in order to stay happy and to feel like you are useful and contributing to society. Contributing to society.
0: So it's threshold. There's yeah. a threshold there. You know.
3: Um, beyond that, what's you know, sort of what's the maximum? I mean, it it I think it, you know, it varies depending upon what other kinds of commitments you have. It depends on, you know, the work itself. You know, how physically challenging it is, or how cognitively or psychologically challenging. Um, but you know, I think it's. Uh, but I think we can pretty safely say that the ideal amount of work to do is less than what many of us are expected in 2020 to do. And, you know, one, you know, the companies that move to four day weeks find that people on happiness surveys report being in a lot happier than they had been previously and certainly happier than they had been in previous jobs.
0: But does that doesn't mean four 10-hour days.
3: No. I mean, there are companies that are doing four 10-hour days. And indeed, there are some very large companies in, again, in Japan that have moved to four-day weeks with four 10-hour days. But what I was really interested in in this book were companies that were doing something a little more radical, right, where they were actually shortening the number of hours total that people worked without cutting their salaries, Right, you're not prorating and paying people 80% what you used to pay. You're paying them 100%, but you're also asking for 100% of of the same, you know, the same level of productivity. And doing that requires essentially taking the design thinking approach and taking it to the workday and asking, you know, what change, you know, what changes in meetings and in technology use and in collaboration you know, can we? You know, can we make so that we can actually do five days worth of work in four?
0: I'm really fascinated in a number of ways. One is the idea that when you say to your employees, when you're here, you're really going to work. (laughs) <laughs> and so many t- you know, you get a cup of coffee and you see Joe and then, you you know, you check out the news and you kind of get going. You do the the old Art Carney on the Honeymooners you used to, you know, <laughs> if he's going to sign something. <laughs> the, the, the Ed Norton, I think, was his uh, character. He'd have his hands up and he'd throw them around. And he'd pick the pen up and he'd put the, you know, and finally, finally. Ralph Cramden, played by Jackie Gleason, would yell at him and then he 'd pick up the pen and sign it you know there 's no art carneys here you know in in the workplace, but if you knew i 'm going to go in i 'm not taking any calls i 'm not you know i 'm just I got this I got an hour to warm up I got three solid hours to get this done, and an hour of denouement and then uh, and I know I'm gonna see everybody at the end. Maybe we all get together for ten minutes and uh, and check out what's going on in a real sense. if you really committed those three hours every day in the middle where you were really concentrating and you got there early enough and cleaned up afterwards, you get a tremendous amount of work done,
3: yeah you know and that's and that's not just true in like you know creative agencies or design firms that's also true in like call centers and places that are doing, you know, IT, IT infrastructure financing, companies where you're spending an awful lot of time talking to people, you know, you're making deals, you're on the phone constantly. And even in those kinds of companies, you find if you cut out the lunch break, the water cooler talk, you know, all the kind of you know, the sort of chatter. Oh, I'm going to go over
0: to a meeting. I'm going to have the meeting. I am going to come back right. from the meeting.
3: And, you know, people are kind of and people drift into the meeting a little late and you got people who are doing the thing under the table where they're checking their email and everyone can see that you're doing that. Who do you think you're, you know, who do you think you're fooling? If you, you know, if you cut all that stuff, then you can cut the workday down to six hours or sometimes even five hours. And if you start at, Nine o'clock and you finish at two. Yeah, you haven't spent a lot of time socializing. There's not a lot of time for that. But you know, two o'clock rolls around, you can go surfing with your colleagues, which is you actually what one place up your does.
0: Kids, <laughs> you can pick up your kids after it, dropping them off beforehand.
3: It is an at, and you know, if you were accustomed to dropping off the kids and then picking them up at the end of the day when they've been in daycare for two hours, and you know, they see you and five minutes. You know five minutes into the car they're melting down to be able to pick them up when they still have energy and you you know and they want to see you and they can talk about their day that's a huge, huge difference and it's a and so being able to make that kind of change turns out to be you know great, especially for parents but you know, I think it's just great for everybody
0: now we get down to. Minimum wage. We've always had minimum hourly rate wage. Do we go to minimum day wage, minimum week? What do we do?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so the places that uh, that have that pay people hourly pay them more, right? The places where there are certified nurses assistants, the rule, the way that they organize that is, if you work thirty hours and you meet certain benchmarks, you don't call in sick, you don't come in late, you work. You know, you work your whole six hour shift from start to finish. You get paid for 40 hours. And so, in you know, it actually is the case that for hourly workers, salary, you know, sort of salaries do go up. But it turns out that there were you know, other savings in the system that, you know, that sort of that balance that out. There is a political argument about the minimum wage and, you know, and and where it should be. And I think that, you know, it is possible that the conversation about shortening the work week and shortening working hours could be part of the part of the conversation about, um, you know, about paying, about paying people better. And it's not there yet, but it certainly, you know, it certainly could be part of the policymakers toolbox.
0: And now we get to the reality of life that. 36% fully a third of Americans are either temporary gig you know sort of the Uber Lyft you name it economy or they're under zero hour contracts a term I'd not heard before what are they and and how do we do shorter hours for these people right no
3: i mean there there are there certainly are people for whom um, their jobs are set up means that shorter hours just translate into less work and less income. Um, zero hours contracts are ones in which in which employers um, can offer up to zero hours of work you know i think generally per week but the expectation still is that employees will make themselves available when the when the employer needs under the wrong circumstances it's a kind of worst of both worlds where you don't know how much you know how much work you're going to get at job number one but you also can't accept job number two because you're uh, under contract yeah because you're <laughs> under contract so and i think that the or of that the you know the four day week unfortunately is not a solution to the problems of underpayment and and or gig work and zero hours contracts, but there are a couple places that moved away from those and used the four day week as or of uh, as a kind of driver to help get them there. So again in Japan there is a or of a traditional inn. Um, Called Jinyu Jinyu Ryokan. Um, It has a giant. If you've ever seen the Miyazaki film My Neighbor Totoro, haven't? (laughs) Okay, but there's a giant. There's a giant tree there that appears in one of the dreams, and Miyazaki actually based that tree on a tree at that inn. So his cousins own it, but they moved this. You know, Japanese inns are an incredibly traditional industry, as you might expect. Um, but when they took it over, the Miyazakis implemented a whole bunch of software that allowed them to speed up check-in, to deal uh, to deal faster with um, customers, to remember their preferences, to do reservations and scheduling and billing and all of those things. And one of the things that it allowed them to do was to move from... Having about a hundred people part time doing all kinds of different jobs to having a permanent staff of about twenty five or so now, one can argue that the other seventy five people lost out, but those tw- but uh, but the full time workers did have much better jobs that were much higher paid and that were much stabler but one of the reasons that they were able to do this was. The inn itself moved to a four-day week that gave them time to train people up to learn how to use uh, use these new programs to do improvements at you know sort of in the inn and to the grounds that have you know, that make it a really beautiful place. So for companies, this can be a strategy. The four-day week can be part of a strategy of moving away from kind of predatory gig-like system to something that is stabler and more sustainable and offers benefits for everybody. Um, but you have to kind of design you, know, you have to kind of design for it and as leaders, you have to desire it. Um, it's not something that just happens kind of automatically.
0: You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm Moira Gunn, and my guest today is Alex Pang. Dr. Pang has been studying people, technology, and the worlds they make for some time. You may remember him from his earlier books, including The Distraction Addiction and Rest, While You Get More Done when you work less. There's also a small companion edition to rest, which is online. It describes Alex's own morning writing routine and the science that explains why morning routines help people be more creative. His latest book is shorter, work better, smarter, and less. Here's how. Now you talk about over a hundred companies. You have a, 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 an appendix which shows all the people you visited, uh, you know, around the world. And you've got four day weeks. You've got thirty five hour weeks. You got thirty hour weeks. You got free Fridays. You got twenty two, twenty four, twenty five weeks hour weeks. You've got all of these things in implemented in different ways. Uh, and these are, of course, people who have done it. And and you consult with a lot of people. Not everybody is moving, mm-hmm. and what what's the resistance? Where do you see the resistance within these companies?
3: Um, I think that the you know, for many of them, the biggest resistance is comes from worrying about how clients are going to react right The sense is that you know we all have to sleep with our phones under our pillows now, and you have to be always on and always available to clients. And so moving to a 4-day week feels like a complete non-starter. But it turns out that there were there were a couple ways a couple ways around this. For one thing, if you know you can reduce working hours without reducing operating hours for the whole company, and there's a there is for example a Toyota repair facility in Sweden that's been working its mechanics on 6-hour days i think for about 15 years now and what they do is that they they work in two 6-hour shifts per day which means that the garage is open 12 hours a day and what that means is that you know there's there's you know, you can get in and out of there really, really quickly, even if you've got a major repair that needs doing. The other thing, so that's one way that you can... That's 12
0: good hours of somebody working on it. Exactly. Normally, one person really isn't very good after seven, eight hours, and you're getting these extra things. Precisely. uh, But you get two fresh people on for that entire period.
3: And indeed, each each mechanic is able to bill in 6 hours what most mechanics like like 1.4 times as much as most mechanics bill in 8 hours precisely because you know toward the end you start getting tired you start looking you know thinking about the end of the day um you're just physically you have less energy and so and so that place is a lot more productive it has you know it's got less equipment because people are kind of doubling up on bays and tools and so you've got lower capital investment but so you know organizing shifts so that uh, so that the actual facility stays open longer is one thing that you can do um but it also turns out that even in creative services firms and professional services when companies approach their clients and say, you know, we want to do this, and what do you think? It turns out clients are incredibly supportive. And they're supportive for a couple reasons. And one is that, um, you know, so long as they continue to deliver the same work, the same deadlines at the same price, it's all, you know, it's, they're free to organize things however they want. These same problems, too, Right they're dealing with work-life balance issues and recruitment and retention and, you know, losing women who go on parental leave and struggle to find a place when they come back. And so working with a company that is solving these problems means working with someone who maybe is going to come up with a solution that you can adopt. And that can be an incredibly valuable thing, right? You know, it's one thing to hear about you know, of a company in Sweden doing it, especially here in the states, where a Swedish company sounds.
0: it sounds like, well, Rhode Island did it. Nobody's right. going to Rhode Island. No, I didn't insult anybody in Rhode Island. <laughs> we love you. You just seem small, you know, right. And contained. Right,
3: but you know like companies in Sweden and Finland, you might as well be talking about the elves in Middle Earth, right? You know, it's this incredible place and sort of it's got probably all kinds of amazing snowing, things. It's, of it's probably,
0: August. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
3: but, you know, it's it doesn't offer a whole lot that sort of you can, you know, you can apply in your own company. On the other hand, if you're, you know, if a company you've worked with for years who understands your culture, who you understand, if they're doing it, those lessons maybe are ones that you know, sort of, that you can bring into your own enterprise. And so, if, and so, the greatest worry that most, you know, that most leaders have around clients and how they're going to react turns out to be much less of an issue than we expect. Um, you know, me, so for you know, for those reasons,
0: San Francisco, the state of California, New York starting to go on and on at the time of this interview. We're on shelter in place, and that means many people have been sent home to work from home. I'd like, if you would, to talk about how they might productively organize their days Mm -hmm. um, and and for management what their expectations should be.
3: That is a terrific question, and I think that... um, one of what these companies have shown me about how to think about your workday and sort kind of redesign your time comes down to a few things and one is actually really think think about and play around with the specific hours in which you work play around and consciously experiment with the hours that you work around here a whole bunch of us no longer have commutes or we have commutes you know from or you know to the living room What that means is that some of the most productive time of our day that we normally spend fighting and fighting traffic can now be spent actually doing stuff. And so, you know, I think that it may, you know, for some people, it may turn out that, you know, a critical three hours from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. is enough to get an amazing amount of stuff done. Or 6 a.m. to 9 before the kids are up. So the first thing I would do, so, you know, I think playing around consciously with your time is the first thing. The second is um, recognize that most of us are able to focus really hard for a period of about 90 minutes or so. And then it's really good to take a break of maybe 20 or 30 minutes. You know, get up, stretch, look into the middle distance. Don't look at another screen get outside if you can, get the blood flowing. So, and I think layering those periods of focused work and breaks is a really great thing. Another is think about how you design your workspace. So, you know, most of us have, you know, the kind of stereotype of working from home is sitting on the couch at, you know, in your pajamas. The reality is most of us don't do that. But I think this is, you know and it's one thing if you're doing it for an hour or two given that we're going to be do- that we're doing it for weeks paying attention to that design is something that is really um really significant especially if you are spending a lot of time on you know or f- web conference calls which can be really difficult on the body and on the eyes, because when you're sitting for a, you know for a conference call, you actually tend to sit a little differently than you normally do, and it puts stress on your back. Um, so you know you got to be aware of that. I think for managers, it's also important to um, you know after people have played around some with their own schedules, to think about how you can synchronize synchronize how people spend their time collectively so that you know you so that they're not they're not always having to be on you know slack or on zoom so that people have time for focused work but they also have time to connect with each other and think about then how can you take those you know take those practices take those schedules And when we're able to finally go back into the office to bring those with us so that we can be more productive at work as well as, you know, at home. I mean, I think that one of the big, you know, one of the big lessons is that there is a really important social dimension to work. We're missing it right now in the sense of not seeing our colleagues, you know, or of not being able to hang out, hang out with people. Um, you know, social distancing really does have a, have a price, but it's also the case that there is a really important social dimension and a kind of, to things like attention and focus, you know, my ability to get stuff done in the workplace depends upon my colleagues ability to respect my need to concentrate. It require and you know, there, and likewise, Everyone's ability to be really, really productive depends upon a collective understanding of when that can happen and how it can happen. And it may sound paradoxical, but the fact that we're all working remotely and that we're all kind of communicating and operating through these narrow channels means that we have a chance to think about how to coordinate, how to both be more individually productive and more collectively productive in ways that aren't always obvious when we're all together in the office so you know i think in the you know in the short run um you know play around with your time you know play around with your space and then leaders get to work yeah you know get to work (laughs) and then leaders think about how you can take the best things that people are doing and the best things that they're learning and bringing them back into the office
0: now alex you you write books, you give talks, you consult with companies, you travel all over the world. Hopefully you'll be back to traveling all over the world. I hope. How many hours a day do you work? How many days a week do you work?
3: So, you know, in my last book, Rest, um, I talked about how a lot of super creative people work about four really intensive hours a day. And that's what I tend to do. I mean, I tend to organize my day around sort of those four key hours, but I tend to do that more like five or six days a week. So partly because I've got clients in Asia and in Europe, so I'm doing some, you know, time difference, day shifting stuff, Um, but also because especially when I'm writing, when I'm working on a book, um, having that steady rhythm is an incredibly valuable thing for me. You know, I am not one of those people or no longer one of those, you know, those people who like gets into a create, you know, gets into like this creative state. And then, you know, and then rushes to, you know, to the keyboard to capture, and it. Writes to capture it. Right. <laughs> no. I mean, the uh, an amazing number of creative people start writing and then they get into that mode. There's a great line that, you know, sort of. Of the muse has to find you working in order. Or <laughs>
0: That's a good one. <laughs> and, you
3: know, and the muse is most likely to show up if you're at your desk every day at the same time doing the same stuff.
0: We'll take that. We'll take that, Alex. Always a pleasure, and please come back and see us. We'd love to have you on again.
3: Oh, it's been great to be with you again. Thank you for having me.
0: My guest today is Alex Pang. His book is Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's how. It's published by Public Affairs. For Tech Nation, I'm Moira Ken.